There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, we're both live and in person. Well, we're not really live because you're listening to us later, but we're both in person. <laughs> I haven't been in this studio for a long time. Jacob Padilla is with me. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for being here. Um, Sasha Durkin decided to just dump my podcast, so... Shout out to her for doing that as a producer. But Cam Broham has picked it up. So Cam is now our producer. Shout out to Cam. Thank you for seeing the value of this podcast where Sasha did not. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, today we are going to... We we have Jacob here, so obviously it's going to be a basketball-specific podcast. For the first roughly 37 minutes of this podcast, we're talking about the NBA and the postseason. So... If the NBA is not your jam, if that's not something that you pay attention to on the regular, just skip ahead to about the 37-minute mark, and we'll get into a discussion for the last half hour or so on Nebraska basketball. Um, So for anybody listening to this that is not subscribed, Jacob Padilla has his own podcast. It is the Nebraska Preps postgame show. He does it once a week with Damon Benning. That is a live show that you can watch on Facebook, or you can subscribe to the podcast feed. So give that a, a hit the subscribe button, drop a comment, drop a five-star rating or a like or whatever it is, depending on where you're listening to that podcast, where you get your podcast from. We also have a bunch of other podcasts as a proud part of the Herd App Media Network. So go get in all those at hailvarsity.com backslash network, I think, where you can find all of the Hail Varsity ones. Um, Jacob. Derek. The Phoenix Suns are up. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so you guys are going to see game three which I believe is Thursday night, before this gets released. Uh, so as things stand currently, the Phoenix Suns are up 2-0. Possibly by the time people hear this, they'll be up 3-0 or 2-1 still. If you could go back in time to, what was it, the 2019 draft, you have the number one pick again. Do you, cont- do you still take DeAndre Ayton, or would you take Luka Doncic or someone else? <laughs> yeah, uh, so that... <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a that's a difficult question. This is um, the peak of DeAndre yeah. Ayton's value right here. That's this is the nadir of DeAndre Ayton's value right here. That's the point. What and, and I I know some people have tried to relitigate. Oh, um, this definitely was the right move to to go with Ayton. And the the flaw in that thinking, and I tweeted this the other day, is that it implies that this was the only path that the Suns had to um, contention, and that or even that this was the best path. We have no idea what James Jones would have been able to do with a Luka Doncic-Devin Booker pairing. And we have no idea how those guys would have grown together and kind of what their games would look like. We've seen what Luka's become in Dallas. Um, but uh, They how, certainly how, don't yeah. trade for Chris Paul. Yeah, 
that that is definitely true. And uh, but do they trade for somebody else? I, I don't know who's who would have been available. So it probably would have been uh, it with the benefit of hindsight. It probably would have been a more difficult path to get here. Um, we we've seen how how Dallas screwed it up with with um, Doncic, but. Also, we've seen James Jones make every right move somehow, even when they didn't really seem like they were the right moves at the time. And I think Jalen Smith is the only one that's questionable right now. And even that, he's got a little bit of time here to kind of figure it out. So um, I, I guess just in the benefit of, of hindsight and knowing how fun this ride has been and the fact that it, there's very real chance that it just keeps on going um, just based on how all the teams look. You get Chris Paul back. I mean, I think the Suns look They're as the favorite good as any right team. now. Yeah, I I think depending on where Milwaukee might still be the betting favorite. Um, I think I heard that yesterday, but I think you just look and at the basketball side of it, and um, I, I think the Phoenix probably has the most well balanced team. Left How do you in the feel about that? You you're very calm right now, very zen. I would have expected you to be a little bit more excited, but I guess that's not really kind of. That's not really you, but how, how are you feeling right now? Phoenix is, is two wins away from the NBA Finals. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I I could, again, we had the conversation. I could see that the Suns had a chance to kind of move forward. You can see the moves they made last year, um, bringing in Ricky Rubio, getting some competent guard play. You can see a couple steps forward from some of the young guys. You can see um, kind of this building towards getting back into the mix with, with the playoffs. Obviously, you add Chris Paul, that accelerates that timeline. But even before that, the A&O and the bubble, obviously the bubble is kind of weird, but the way they did it and just kind of the continuity they showed, the way some, like Devin Booker stepped up, um, some of these other guys, like you can see that they were on on the correct path. And then, again, you, you bring in Chris Paul, and that just elevates what everybody was already doing to begin with. So it's all come together, and then James Jones continued to make little moves on the margins that just continues to raise the team's floor and ceiling. And every whether it's campaign start in the bubble last year, which I hated I'm so that happy move for him. Yeah, it's I I hated that move um, because obviously he'd been a bust at what four different teams. He was out of the league. It's like we couldn't find some younger guy that maybe has more upside. He was best known for his sideline dancing. That was campaign. <laughs> that 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 is very true. Um, I, I think you you look up his name and uh, they're uh, on the Twitter you get, you get search. The, the Russell Westbrook video uh, hit them folks of him dancing with Russ. That's the first one that pops up. Yeah, that's the one that he's known for. That's yeah. the one that my wife knew him from. Oh, which should which should tell you the the plight of campaigns yeah. career early on. Oh, and and I know Bulls fans uh, just kind of. <laughs> The, the pain that, they, that they're that they seeing this run with. Um, I feel bad for them, but I'm so happy for Cam. I, he legitimately might be the best story in the NBA over the last year. Like, you just consider all the factors. He was out of the league. He was in China. He was in the G League. Um, lottery pick who had never, uh, didn't even really show much promise in his first year, which is why he was out of the league before uh, his second contract. And Suns took a chance on him. He came in. And he absolutely killed it in the bubble. And we were like, well, we probably need to upgrade that backup point guard spot. We can't rely on kind of that bubble mirage for an entire season. And sure enough, not only has he picked up where he left off, he's even elevated at times when they needed him the most. So, um, yeah, just at Torrey Craig getting like, cast off from Milwaukee 
and now playing an important role for the Suns and being really valuable within that role. Um, obviously, the, the core that has been here with Booker and, and Bridges um, and now Cam Johnson as well um, as a younger guy as part of that. It's it's just incredible to watch this team come together and yet yeah, to, to feel like every time they go out there, they should win. I, I <laughs> Even when the Suns were making their runs in, in the mid-2000s when I first started becoming a fan, never had that feeling. So this is kind of new territory for me, especially I had forgotten what it was like to be a, a fan of a team in the playoffs because it had been a decade. Um and now not only to be a team in the playoffs, but to be one that, again, has a legitimate chance to go win a, a, a championship. It's incredible. I, so the Green Bay Packers um, are the only <laughs> team that I root for that has ever won a, a championship. Oh, I thought uh, you were going a different direction no, with that. I'm saying like, <laughs> this is new territory for me. That was a long time ago. It was, again, about a decade uh, ago that they, they made that run. So, um, yeah, it's... It's been pretty incredible to watch. So I am happy for you. You guys are reaching like I need to mute sons on Twitter <laughs> levels right now. And Greg and I were talking about it the other day, and I was like, "There, there is a story from not too long ago where there was a literal goat defecating in a general manager's office in the Phoenix Suns facility. That's how like gross this organization has been for the last few years and the staunch supporters of the team yourself included have had to endure all of that and when you have to endure all of that uh s bleep pun intended (laughs) um when you're finally good again like yeah you're gonna puff your chest out a little bit and talk talk some smack and honestly we could, we could be even worse at this point just based on some of the, the, the way the Suns and Devin Booker were talked about. Well, that's what I want to talk to you yeah. about because you are a little bad with the Devin Booker stuff. He, so statistically, he had the best year of his career last year. This sort of gets back a little bit to the discussion that you and I had over Slack with Zion Williamson and John Morant talking about how much can one player with statistical greatness influence winning on a team that doesn't have a ton of other winning players around them. Do you think that Devin Booker has been this same exact player over the course of his career and has been disrespected by people that haven't paid attention to him enough? Or do you think that he's continually improved, added pieces to his game each year, he's got a chance, he's got an opportunity this year, and he's seizing that opportunity? Or do you think that he's just been disrespected and this is a player? You've watched him more than I have. So do you think he's been disrespected? Yes. Um, So... Like he's he's twenty four, twenty five. Um, like guys are going to continue to improve throughout their career, but um, he 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 made the leap about three years ago. Um, that's kind of when he he kind of elevated himself to what he is kind of uh, become now. Um, and the last few years, it's been about kind of adding things in the margins, getting even better at what he was really good at. But last year he made the superstar – or a few years ago he made the superstar leap. And the team around him wasn't ready for it to even matter. Um, you could – heck, I mean, the, the 70 points in a loss game, like that right there is kind of emblematic of what the Suns were and what he was within that team. It's just it didn't matter. He was playing with Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender and Tyler Ulis. 
and oh, insert God. random point guard. <laughs> they ran through 20 different point guards before they finally signed Rubio. I forgot about Tyler Uless. <sighs> feel bad for that guy. I mean, he, I, I, I liked him. He just wasn't ever able to get the ball to go in it the was basket. Too small. Enough. Well, the, the problem was like Calipari fought so hard for him. <laughs> and said he does, the size doesn't matter. He's too small. Well, and it wasn't even. It was that he wasn't good enough to overcome the size. Like he could have still had a career, I think, even as small as he was, but he couldn't shoot the ball. So when you're that small, it doesn't matter how well you know how to play the game if the ball won't go in the basket when you shoot it. Um, so that ended up being the problem there. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just he, he's and even this year he's continued to reshape his game. Uh, it took a while for Paul and Booker to kind of feel each other out early in the season. And the second over the second half of the season, what they've done in the playoffs when Chris has been able to play anyway, um, is uh, just so much fun to watch. And it's so devastating for opposing defenses because what are you supposed to do with that? You got two legitimate superstars there with guys around them that know how to play. Like you double Booker, Mikhail's cutting to that free throw line every single time. And he's going to do something good with it now. And you've got Aiden at the rim ready to go get the ball if you miss it. Um, so, uh, yeah, he... He's come a long way from the don't double me in an open gym, Devin Booker. <laughs> he's still the same dude. Like, <laughs> How do you feel about Bill Simmons after all of that? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, I about the, the same I've felt about Bill Simmons for years. I was, t- I was listening, so... Zach Lowe hadn't yet updated his podcast after the Sixers lost Game 7, and I needed, I needed to listen to someone talk about it, and it was Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo that was, like, the most recent one. Yeah. So I was like, fine, fine. The first, and I was talking to Brandon about this afterwards, the first 30 minutes of the podcast is, is nothing but Bill Simmons apologizing to other players <laughs> for writing them off, saying they were bad when they turned out to be good, making these massive assumptions or these statements that he shouldn't have made in the moment and then had to walk back later about Team X, Player Y, whatever. That's the first 30 minutes. The next 10 minutes, he says the Phoenix Suns, or the, not the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz losing Game 7 to the Clippers was the worst playoff loss in the history of basketball. <laughs> oh, no. And I turned it off. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing Rightfully here? So. What are we doing here? <laughs> so, sorry, uh, Bill Simmons side tangent. Back yeah. to Devin Booker. Yeah. Uh, he, through the first three years of his career, he was essentially one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. You were talking about two or three years ago, he made that leap. Yeah. He went from, he went to 6.8 assists per game. When he started being not just the guy that is going to kill you by shooting the ball, but being the guy that's going to kill you by making the right play, yeah, he like he took that leap into superstardom, and the thing that um, was super cool to watch in in game two was it last night is the game winning play doesn't happen if he doesn't set that screen, and that's and totally I don't, him. And I don't know. I was thinking about it. It's not so like he didn't just. I mean, he didn't knock Zubats over, yeah. but he dislodged Zubats enough to where it freed Aiton up, and. It's not like, I mean, Zubats is a lot bigger than Devin Booker. So even though he didn't move him a ton, Booker like threw his body into him. It wasn't just like, I'm going to stand here and make it inconvenient for you. It was like, no, you're going to feel 
me being here and you're going to have to move around me. And I was thinking about it. I don't know how many other players in the NBA, yeah. superstar players in the NBA, make that play. I don't think LeBron makes that play right and now. And he does with a swollen, possibly with a broken, broken nose. nose. Yeah, like, <laughs> His nose is all busted up. He's like, here's my face. Devin Booker screening is a huge part of their offense. They, they do it a lot with him. And he's very willing to, to play that role to get these other guys open. And that, that's the thing about Devin. Like, people talked about, um, just stat patter, uh, just looter in a riot. Uh, I believe uh, it was a conversation at one point. Um, but like the dude cares so much about winning, and we're even seeing now. Like a, another part of it was the defense, where he was talked about like the worst defensive player in the league. And a part of that was I think the defensive analytics, where he was on an absolute garbage team. Of course, his defensive numbers are going to be bad. Also. Defensive numbers hold no value to me because you can't quantify good defense because it's not all steals, blocks, rebounds. 90% of it is effort, which is why Patrick Beverly is still in the NBA. Effort and intelligence and teamwork. It's defense is not an individual thing. Um, So, and we're seeing now he, he was better on defense in that game too than he was on offense. Booker could not throw it in the ocean in that game. He had seven of their nine turnovers he just was in a bad place for whatever reason. Like, Pat Beverly got in his head, and he wasn't able to pull himself out of it. Although he did, again, he made the huge jumper down the stretch and then made uh, the screen on that final place. But, like, he played good defense, and he has played really good defense throughout the playoffs. He made the plays that matter. You know, I was telling my wife when we were watching the Bucks game when Drew Holiday was, like, 3 for 18, and then he hit three shots, and I was like, oh, he just justified all those picks that they traded for him. And she was like, well, he hasn't hit anything. And I was like, yeah, but he hit the ones that mattered. So, like, Devin Booker's, like, he's making the plays that matter yeah. late in the games, which has been cool to see. Yeah, and it's for the first time he's getting to do that because he hasn't been in many games where it has mattered late throughout his career. And even then, we've seen the, the game winner over PG and Kawhi in the playoffs last year. Um, he's got some other late game heroic plays. Like he's been pretty good in those situations. He just hasn't had the opportunity to be in that situation very often. And now on a consistent basis, he's on a team that has a lead or has a chance to take the lead down the stretch. And he's delivered in multiple ways. Where did they draft Devin Booker? Like what, what pick number? 13, one spot ahead of Cam Payne. (sighs) I remember that draft class. I wanted Devin Booker so bad. Because we needed a shooter. <laughs> like, as we still do now, we don't have any shooters. Suns also got Frank Kaminsky out of that draft. So, that <laughs> who, are the, who are the players that are on James Jones' draft record? Uh, so, it's Cam, Cam Johnson is on it. Jalen Smith, obviously, this year. Yes. Um, is Mikhail Bridges on it? No. Uh, Bridges was the last year of McDonough. And we don't know exactly kind of what impact he had at that point. Like he was already being groomed for um, kind of stepping into this role at that point. Um, but yeah, he was part of the front office that made the Aiton and uh, Bridges picks um, slash moves. Uh, but um, he was not in charge yet at that point. So he hasn't done a ton of, in the draft. Um, so Cam Cam Johnson was his first actual like he's the GM. This is the selection. Yes, and, and that was number traded, nine, right? Uh, he traded. Was it eleven? He traded down because um, they were at six, I believe, and he traded down to um, somewhere. Like I said, I think it was eleven. Um, and he got murdered for that pick. He did by myself included. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you um, hated Aiton too when he got picked. 
because I knew Dodger was really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did most of the people that actually paid attention. Uh, but yeah, and um, again, we talked about the campaign move. Um, all all these little things he's made, whether Jake big, Crowder. small. Yes, like he's been perfect for what they needed this year. He was deep. I he was. You look at all the guys that signed for the whatever exception or whatever he signed on. Um, I don't shout out to David Nash and Max McCauley. Um, they, uh, David does a newsletter for Suns fans. Um, and occasionally we'll get back together with Max to do podcasts who they used to have a podcast together. Um, but they kind of ran through all the, the guys that signed for under that exception. And Jay's by far the best. Um, you got guys like Derek Jones Jr. Who couldn't even get on the playoff on the court in the playoffs for Portland. And guys like that. And meanwhile, Jay's over here starting. And whether he's making shots or not, he's playing. He's making a huge impact in there with his defense, with his toughness, moving the ball. Um, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago when I had you on during the Lakers series. And I was like, he just yeah. keeps getting passed around to teams, and they keep being like, okay, this guy's really good, actually. How about that pass? It was perfect. The, it, exactly. It was perfect. perfect. You could not have made that pass any better. It was so close to catching that backboard. Okay, hold on. Because the Clippers players reacted this way. <laughs> Clippers fans reacted this way. Their own team broadcast reacted yeah. this way. How does no one understand that that was a live ball? It's not... If they think that that is goaltending, then half of the alley-oop lobs that get thrown would be goaltending. Well, even... It's... Yeah. It's, yeah. It... I guess it shows that it's it is funny that Suns fans knew right away. Like I thought this that was the type of play that they were going to have to try um, with with that little amount of time. It's like yeah, you can technically get a catch and shoot off, but it's not going to be a real shot. And you're in that uh, coffin corner, so yeah. if you're giving it to a guy that's turning and facing the basket, he's going to be coming towards you. Yeah. So there's going to be a second defender right there already. That is yeah, and that's the part that complicated it is where the pass was made from. Mm-hmm. Didn't know if you could get it to where it needed to be there. Um, but Suns, four years ago, under Jay Triano, ran, uh, ran this play to Tyson Chandler to win a game. <laughs> and at that, that's the first I'd ever seen it, heard of that rule. So that was like flashing through my mind as th- this was getting ready to happen. And then it played out perfect, cause, and I just <laughs> lost my mind. It was, I, I, I honestly, I... This, this, I, I mentioned, so I was in a group chat with a couple buddies, including Cole Huff, who um, is a Creighton alum that um, writes about the Clippers. Um, he's been a Clippers fan his whole life. And I told him, I, I still can't believe that happened. Like, it, th- that stuff doesn't happen to me. And his response was, it happens to the Clippers. It was only a matter of time. <laughs> came, over, came around later than usual. <laughs> I was like, well, touche there. <laughs> yeah, it does happen to the Clippers. Yeah, that was, that was a great play. Um I would like to ask you about Ben Simmons. What do you do with Ben Simmons? Uh, do you think he's still a productive, valuable offensive player? Yeah, they just they just won that took the number one seed with him in the East. I he played so much worse in the playoffs than he ever had previously in the playoffs than he did during the regular season, and that is a significant issue that they have got to figure out. But what value are you going to get if you try to trade him coming off that postseason run and some of the comments they made about him? So here's the problem. This is the thing that I wanted to ask you. So when, when the best player on the team throws his teammate under the bus, 
not only is it a bad look, but it also kills a little bit of his trade value. So Philly, Philly is in a spot where because everybody is talking about C.J. McCollum for Simmons. That's kind of the hot one. That's like the only one that kind of sort of makes sense. They're not going to get Damian Lillard. That's not. They're not going to be able to trade. This dude was... was now, people quibble about who said no on which side, but James Harden for Ben Simmons was a deal that was discussed six months ago. That He's not even in that same stratosphere right now. So if you're making a trade, if Philly is making a trade, the team that is like bringing in Simmons is wanting it to be like, a, this dude is really low. We're going to buy low. We're going to try to rehabilitate some of his value. We're not going to give you much. People kept talking about Oklahoma City. I hate it. I don't want Ben Simmons. From Philly's side, they, they it can't be like a we get a pick and a young player back. It needs to be like, because you have a 27-year-old Joel, MV, Joel Embiid who would have been MVP if he didn't get hurt, sitting there like, well, what do I have now? Yeah. So like, where where exactly does Ben Simmons fit in a trade? If you want to change the team, why not just trade Joel Embiid? <laughs> because you don't trade a top three player, top five player, wherever you want to put him in the league, especially coming off the year he had. But you're kind of boxed in. But they were also the number one seed, and they lost in a game seven to go to the conference finals. So it's not like... This is a complete failure. They can't win games as currently constructed. They got to figure some things out to be able to get where they want to go. But it's not like they're so far off that they can't. It's impossible that they'll ever ever get there. Um, it does feel like they've hit their ceiling though, because I, and I don't I don't care about regular season seating because the East was also weird. Um, <laughs> East was also weird in the playoffs. Like they have now four playoff appearances and zero Eastern Conference Finals to show for it. That's kind of kind of an issue. Oh, for sure. And like they they are in a really difficult spot. But I think just starting over is after everything they went through to build this team. How is that going to be received by the fans if you trade Joel M- Joel Embiid right now? And especially well, like the how much would... are they going to hate and uh, Ben Simmons if they if like it felt like he's the reason like. They weren't good enough because of him, and now he's the reason they traded away their best player and one of the best players in the league. The haul that they would get for Embiid would be significantly greater than the haul that they would get for Ben Simmons, which and it would allow them to remain competitive and or near the top of the Eastern Conference. Whereas what if it, you're trading, yeah, like I, I guess it depends like how much of the draft compensation versus players, like who's going to. Well, if you're if you're dealing Embiid, you immediately can start talking about like, um, we'll give you Embiid for Bradley Beal and other stuff. Like we'll give you Joel Embiid for Damian Lillard and other stuff. It's it's not like a, yeah, we'll give you Ben Simmons and other stuff for C.J. McCollum. Yeah, that, like you're gonna sure, yeah, yeah. you're gonna get other stuff back, and the Portland thing. Tangent, Yusuf Nurkic is still there. Like, Ben Simmons' biggest problem is he has to play point guard and be a primary ball handler all the time. I don't think so. That's the problem. He, That's what they set him up to be. That's what they told him he was. That's how they built their team, kind of. They didn't build around it well. But that's kind of how they set him up to be when he doesn't have to be. Like, the, that's the problem. In that role, the, the ceiling is capped. Like, you got to find other way, and it's he's got to get better. Like, it's not even, he doesn't have to come back and be a 40% pull up three point shooter next year. 
the free throw deal has to He has to, to not fixed. be a 15% three-point shooter. That's what he is for his career, well, 15%. There are players People in the league. People keep comparing him to Draymond Green because of the defensive prowess, the vision, whatever. Draymond is a 32% career three-point shooter. At his best, he was in the, the mid to high 30s, one of, his be- one of his peak seasons. And plus, Draymond would shoot it. <laughs> ben has shot 34 threes in his four years of playing. That's the problem. It's like... Everybody says, well, oh, he can be Draymond Green. He could be this. He could be that. He could be a small ball five. Well, with Joel Embiid off the court this season, he averaged 7.2 oh, yeah. rebounds yeah. a game. So he's not rebounding a ton. He career For his career, he's averaging 0.8 blocks a game. He's not a rim protector. So you're going to have him as a pick-and-roll guy who's just going to sit in the dunker spot who can't go to the free-throw line. You're, you're, I mean, what do you, you have to build your team such a specific way to have this guy on your roster and for anybody to trade for him, they're either going to have to tweak or completely overhaul what they have. I just don't know what Philly does outside of like running it back next year. And that's what that's I. Everybody thinks oh that they have to trade Simmons, but I think it's more likely that they just run it back, hope that he makes some improvement, see if they can make uh, a move kind of on the margins to tweak the construction a little bit to kind of balance things a little bit better, um, but. Yeah, at this point, it's it's hard to see them getting all the way there, but I don't think like it, it's completely hopeless to the point where it's the best move, especially considering the fans and considering um, everything they've gone through. Like, I it would be a really bad PR move to trade Joel Embiid, and again, even if you get like a Bradley Beal or whatever um, coming off of this playoff run, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think like you make the point, yeah, you can get more for him. Well, that's because he's again a top five player in the league, and that's what you're trying to, that's what you'd be trying to acquire with the the moves the, that you're getting back for him with all the draft picks again that you'd uh, conceivably get. Um, is it though? Phoenix is about to make the, or could not about could make the finals without a top five player in the NBA. Yeah, that's a pretty. Uh, I, that's Miami, hard to do. Miami made the finals last year without a top five player in the NBA. Yeah, that was weird. I mean. Still, like the, the like the teams that have made the finals have been LeBron James and Steph Curry, so they've kind of skewed things a little bit over the last however many years. But like, we might have a finals this year without a top five player in the NBA in it. Yeah, um, Atlanta could make the finals. <laughs> Think about that. It's not going to happen. It's not. It's not a. It's not a likelihood, but it's a possibility that Atlanta could be. With the way the East has gone this year, I almost think it is going to happen. Like, the East has been so weird. We felt like it was these top three teams and then everybody else. And each of these top three teams has shown such a massive flaw. Even Milwaukee still being alive. Obviously, Brooklyn's flaw was that two of their three players got hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously, we're talking about all the flaws for Philly right now. Milwaukee barely scraped by in that series. Um, and, and they don't still have significant, Chenzo. yeah, significant, uh, late game offensive questions, significant coaching decision, lineup questions. Um, like, yeah, Milwaukee got by, but that doesn't mean all their flaws are going to suddenly disappear. Uh, they didn't figure them out. They just managed to survive them against a team that was so banged up that they just didn't have quite enough firepower. And even then, if KD was half an inch backwards on that, on that shot, it's over 
and they're home right now. So. Or if you wore a shoe size that was, <laughs> yeah. have you seen that story? I have, he yeah. wears a, a size bigger shoe in basketball than he does in real life. That would have been funny. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but the thing that further complicates it for Philly and probably makes it a non-starter for a lot of teams is Ben Simmons is still owed $140 million over the rest of his deal, yeah. which is three or four years, I think. The last year of his deal will be 28, and he'll be owed $40 million. Yep. If Ben was a $20 million player, we're having a completely different discussion. Yep. So, and that's, again, also part of, man, Philly's just kind of trapped right now. And it's it's not the worst place to be in. It's not like they, they can't compete again. They, they've, they're they going to get a good seed every year. They're going to give themselves a chance to figure some things out in the playoffs and for the guys to get hot um, and that kind of stuff. But it is so hard to kind of see what's the big move that they can make that can fix their issues. They were a, they the were money. a victim. Yeah, Sorry. just with Tobias Harris kind of locking themselves into that contract in addition to the Simmons and Abid contract and for him to be your third best player. And you kind of felt like, well, one, coming off of how well he played uh, for the Clippers that year when they acquired him. And then two, you kind of felt like with his ability to shoot the ball, he was the kind of guy that you needed to play with Simmons and Embiid. And it just hasn't quite worked out on the court. He hasn't been able to be consistent enough to be the guy that they needed him to be. They were kind of victims of like what Dallas is going through a little bit right now, where like Dallas began a rebuild and then got Luca, and, and then Luca like, was suddenly. so good right away that they were like, okay, we have to, we, we, we have this urgency to make a bunch of moves around him. So like Philly. Once Embiid was healthy and on the floor, he was so good right away. Yeah. And Simmons was exciting. And they're like, okay, we have to put all of these these pieces around him. And then, like, the... the <clears throat> you the, point, the same thing, kind the, of. The point of no return for them probably was letting Jimmy Butler walk to open cap space for Al Horford. Yeah. That, that was, was the big problem. That's not good. Because, like, all of the stuff that they have done since the process started, like, really the only people left are... Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Yep. Like everything else that they got from the process is all gone. They shipped it all out. You know who probably would have helped them? Landry Shamit. Maybe. Maybe he doesn't take the step back when he goes to <laughs> the Clippers or whatever because he was pretty good for them. He was good right for away. the Clippers and then got to Brooklyn and kind of forgot how to be a decent basketball player. And if they don't make that trade, they don't have Tobias Harris's contract on the books. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Like I said, Dallas did the same thing. New Orleans kind of did the same thing. <laughs> Phoenix did not, and obviously Booker wasn't quite that level that early on, but they were patient through the rebound. <laughs> Part of that is because they That's kept really screwing it up, but they waited until the right moment and put themselves in position to where they could go get Chris Paul and then add a veteran like Jay Crowder with that and then add the guards that they've added um, kind of on the fringe. All these guys are like, all right, we are now ready to make this move, and they found the perfect guy to allow them to make that leap. And um, it, it was difficult, obviously, and they uh, Ryan McDonough screwed it up a lot before they eventually uh, kind of figured it out. But it's so much of that timing, getting lucky, having the right options come available at the right time, and that just hasn't was not the case for Philly and for, for Dallas. And now they've got flawed rosters, and their superstars are sitting at home because of it. You're making me sit here and reconsider wanting to trade up in this year's draft. The Thunder. Maybe we should just stick with six, sixteen, and eight. I was so pissed. The draft lottery last night. We had a seventy-five percent chance of at least one top five pick, and we get stuck with six. 
And this is where Presti's really going to have to uh, work his magic here because, yeah, getting – and this is what we saw with McDonough too. Getting the assets is one thing. Being able to use those assets to actually build a contending team is a lot more difficult than tearing it down. This is the draft right here for us. And I told a buddy this last night. Shea's – SGA's days in Oklahoma City are numbered right now. If we don't do something in this draft, I don't want Scotty Barnes. I want Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley or Jalen Green or Cade Cunningham. We need one of those dudes. Because if not, Shea's days are numbered. And so we got to move up. Got to move up. Let's move on to Nebraska basketball so that people... People, people that actually. Well, maybe, maybe we could we could sweet talk Cleveland into doing something stupid. Like I said, I just hope that nobody, uh, not you personally, but it'd be hilarious if just nobody trades with the Thunder and they have to make every single pick and they don't and they like have to trade all the players because they need to make room for an entirely new roster of draft picks over the next two years. I hope Devin Booker gets traded. <laughs> I hope he asks for a trade. I think we're good on that now. I hope what happens is that L.A. does what it did the first two series and wins four straight games after dropping two, and uh, Devin Booker asked for a trade. I hope that's what happens. It's probably not what's going to happen because everybody keeps making a lot about how Ty Lue, like, yeah, he'll give you the first two games and then make all those adjustments. I I mean, sure, that worked through the first two series, but you're also playing with fire. And in both of those series, like Dallas had Kristaps Porzingis as his second-best player. And Utah had a hurt Donovan Mitchell and a hurt Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert, who doesn't know how to play offense. So, like, the Phoenix Suns are an entirely different team to be like, yeah, we'll just spot you two games and then figure out what happens. Especially because you get potentially have Chris Paul coming back, who is not part of losing those first two games. And they don't have Kawhi. Yeah, that's not which happening. Is, which is like, so um, let's move, like I said, let's move to Nebraska basketball so uh, people that regularly listen to this podcast can tune back in. Um, you had a story on HailVarsity.com earlier this week from Fred Hoiberg's time at, at the uh, the Big Red Blitz tour, um, just talking about off-season skill development. Um, and it's interesting, all of the returning guys that they have on this team, they've got some continuity now, which is not something that Fred has been able to enjoy uh, through the, the first part of his Nebraska tenure. So what are they working on this off-season? Yeah, and fundamentals basic skill development they're doing kind of piecing all that together and that's kind of what Fred talked about a little bit is and he's talked consistently about how much time they lost last year because of the pandemic and how much development time how much um, time to be able to fit those pieces together that they lost because they missed out on all those preseason practices and workouts and all that stuff that is where basketball players get better is the offseason during the year, it's all about maintaining, making a few tweaks here and there. But you make the leap in the offseason, specifically in the summer, when you can really buckle down and really work hard, stay in the gym. Um, they've got the certain amount of time they're allowed to be in there with the coaches, but um, players can go in there whenever they want, get the extra shots up and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's what he did not have last year. And now you're having that time that you missed out, plus you have the core coming back. So you're really focusing on and the He two, compared it to the karate kid. He did. The, all, all the little chores that he made him do, and he's wondering, like, why are you making me do this? And then later on it, uh, it, it ended up showing that 
well, actually, this was helping you get to this point. All of it came together to help you improve and get stronger and kind of learn the, the, the various techniques. So once he kind of made you realize, all right, they all come together, and now suddenly you're winning um, all, all your fights. So um, that that's kind of where they're at right now is because you look at it, probably the two biggest things, especially that irked Fred Hoiberg, was their, their shooting and their ball security. And those are things they're working really hard on good decisions, good footwork, making the right pass. So that's part of that in the fundamental development um, and just kind of building that up. And then obviously shooting a lot of that was uh, it, hoping for improvements because of the additions they made, but they're also getting in the gym with all these guys coming back and hoping to get more consistent with a guy like lat man who obviously can shoot, but wasn't consistently what they needed him to be for the role he was playing. Um, and a guy like Trey McGowan's who, made improvements as a shooter last year, excuse me, but it wasn't high volume thing where um, he's kind of, he'd hit maybe one a game. Um, so it's that, that's what they're doing right now is they're really getting in there. They're pounding home the fundamentals. They're working on the shooting, the footwork, the finishing, the right decisions uh, within the pick and roll, all that little stuff. So that once they get into their team stuff, um, all that stuff will be second nature and they'll have hopefully improved to where they can actually execute the team stuff and make it work better than they did last year. Let's talk about the shooting for a second. Now they had a guy on the, the roster last year that played a significant role for them that could be best categorized as a chucker. So that's going to deflate your shooting percentages just just a little bit. Well, the problem is he was a lot better at, at it than everybody else on the team. Yeah. So he um, actually, you where said, they were, he held them up. You said Latman... Uh, was was not good enough as a shooter in the role that they needed him to be. Frankly, like no one was. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they shot forty one point eight percent from the field overall, two hundred and seventy seventh in college basketball. They shot thirty three point three percent from three, hundred eighty ninth. Um, Fred is quoted. I'm just going to read this quote. We do have more shooting. There's no doubt about that. This is Hoiberg talking at the the Big Red Blitz tour. Uh, that's the biggest area we thought we needed to improve, and we feel we've made a big step and a big jump in that area. In the world of analytics that we live in now, you try to create as many shots in the restricted area right in front of the rim and the three-point line. So now 84% of our shots came in those two areas. Now I think we've got personnel where we can take advantage of that. He says we were number one, Alabama was number two in terms of shot percentage at the restricted in the restricted area at the rim and behind the three-point line. So we're getting the shots where we want them, now we just need to increase our percentages, and we need to take much better care of the ball. So he touches on shooting better and turnovers, yeah. like you just pointed out. Um, but he paints the shooting struggles last year in a light of, well, we got what we wanted, we just missed shots. Do you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. And that was even the case in year one, where it w- that was kind of one of the more impressive things that I thought is Fred instantly, obviously he rebuilt the roster, but not at, like the, he had to get the guys that he could get within a month. So it wasn't like he had the perfect pieces run what he wanted to do. But he he right away had them playing the way that he wanted to. And even with guys like Deshaun Burke and Gervais Green, whose shot selection wasn't always the best, you look at their shot profile, and again, that year they were at the rim. They were a lot of threes. They just could not make either one. And last year was kind of the same thing, where they were better in both areas, but not better enough to actually win a significant am- amount of games. So that's kind of where he's hoping the leap comes this year when you add a guy like um, Bryce McGowan's who 
can help you in both those areas. He's, he's really crafty getting to the rim. He's got to get a little bit stronger to be able to finish, especially when he gets contact. But he can get wherever he wants on the court with his long strides and his moves. And then he can step out and shoot from 25 feet easily as well. Um, so you had a guy like him, and then you add uh, guys like C.J. Wilcher and Keon Edwards who have been in college a little bit. They, haven't, they don't have a ton of experience, but Hoiberg uh, believes in their ability to shoot, and they give you two different kind of options. Wilcher is kind of a bigger body, 6'4 guard. Edwards is 6'7", kind of a longer wing. Um, you add a guy like Kisei to, uh, Tominaga, who I watched on um, one of his games where he's just like chucking it from wherever and making it like he he has he, a nickname doesn't he <laughs> Japanese Steph Curry yes uh he made yes. ele- he made 11 threes in that game you can go check the the, the basketball tab at hillvarsity.com I broke down that game um but he made 11 threes in a game this season um so best uh three-point shooter in junior college coming to Nebraska well it'll be interesting to see kind of how wheelchair fits in the rotation how Tominaga, what his role is, kind of with Kobe Webster coming back. Um, I think all three of those guys, while different players physically, um, I think they all kind of give you some of the same things. Um, and you, you got uh, Hoiberg believes in a guy like uh, Wilhelm Breidenbach as a shooter, his ability. I, I think he's got some work to there um, to be a consistent like volume type of shooter, but uh, the, the the touch is there. Like he's got the ability to step out and, and be a threat at six nine, who can also put it on the deck and make a play for himself or others. So um, yeah, just they added a lot of pieces that shooting is one of their strengths based on what Hoiberg and his staff um, evaluated within the recruiting process. How big of an impact can Bryce McGowan's have right away? That's going to be the question, and um, I think so. And so I guess by extension, how important it are, are these next few weeks and then into, like you kind of broke down the offseason schedule for them, him just being in the gym, him being part of the, the strength program, they hired a new strength coach. How important are these next few weeks for him to be able to have uh, an impact? And it's funny, I'm wearing Big Bianca Hoops uh, t-shirt today, but and Bryce got hooked up, Bryce and Trey both got hooked up with Thomas Vilianco, who's one of the best skills trainers in, in the area. Um, and I was talking to him uh, a few weeks back and just kind of like he was talking about what, what they, he was talking to Bryce about and what they were working on. And he went out and played at that, um, uh, the Iverson classic all-star game and the practices, the scouts uh, got to see that we, we only got to see the game. He didn't play a ton. Uh, he knocked down a three during that, that stretch um, one or two, I can't remember, but, um, but during the week he he did well for himself and showed some of the things that, they're already working on his weaknesses that he needs to improve on to be able to make an instant impact in college. And Thomas helped him identify those right away. And that's the stuff that he's putting the time in on, in addition to getting stronger, obviously, because that's, that's going to be the one, one thing, like you watch him play and he draws a lot of contact. He can't finish through it a lot. Um, he's so, he, he was so thin um, in high school and he's so long. It's, it's kind of funny. You look at Trey versus Bryce, they're very different players, like physically. Like uh, Trey's shorter, stockier, more explosive. Um, Bryce is longer, um, taller, is more smooth than he is terribly explosive. Um, so the, these guys are super tight brothers, but with very different kind of physical profiles. So it'll be interesting to see those two play together. Um, but Bryce has a chance um, to come in and I don't, I don't know about. 20 points a game. I don't know that he's a one and done, but he's got a chance to come in and be a starter and be an impact double digit score right away with the skill set that he has right now. That would certainly help 
their bottom line. You've got a line in, in your piece where you say, will, will the work they've done and are doing this offseason be enough for the Huskers to vault themselves out of the Big Ten cellar? And then you've got a quote from Hoiberg where uh, he shares a story with John Beeline. He said when he got into the league, Beeline, uh, there were 10 teams and six of them were going through rebuilds. And then Beeline told Ho- Hoiberg, you come into the league and there's 14 teams and you're the only one, only one rebuilding. So like... Hoiberg has said, he said in this quote, and he said at other times, that this is the best conference of basketball. Um, are, can they be competitive? Do they? Do you think they can be competitive? Do they feel like they can be competitive? And that's, I, I think, just kind of the conference and what they experienced last year is why Hoiberg is kind of hesitant, and just in general, it's good practice, but um, hesitant to give any kind of real definitive answer there because Wait, we don't you, know yet. you mean it's not good practice to say get us now because you won't get us later? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll just leave that there. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, but I love that quote. By yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Not, uh, passing, not passing judgment. <laughs> anyway, because um, last year they did make a significant step forward. I thought mm-hmm. in terms of the personnel, in terms of the way they played last year, and they won the same number of games. And obviously they played fewer and all that stuff or whatever. Um, but they struggled just as much in the Big Ten Conference to actually win games. Um, as the year previously, and they were in a lot of games. They just weren't able to, to finish them off. I don't know how many of those games are lost in the last three minutes, five minutes, 30 seconds. Um, so that, I think, points to the, the talent level and the ability to execute in those stretch situations. But um, just in terms of I don't know how good a lot of these, guys, these newcomers are going to be, and we don't know what kind of leap the guys coming back will make. And the Lionel Banton, I guess, is still a question. He was at the G League um, uh, Elite Camp this week. He's still um, currently going through the draft process. We'll know within the next week or so what his final decision is. Um, but they, they've definitely got the pieces, I think, if guys click, if things work out, if a few of these newcomers are able to make an impact right away, if Bryce is able to shoot mid-30s from three and score double digits, um, if – uh, Trey is a little bit more sound uh, in, in his decision-making, a little bit more consistent coming back here. Um, if Lat can shoot 38 39% from three instead of 35 um, if they can make slight improvements, and then also they're going to get a full season of Derek Walker and a full season of Eduardo Andre, who has added 20 pounds to his frame already and maintained the mobility there. He was the one guy that... That's a big deal. Yeah, he was the one guy that Hoiberg really mentioned, like, by name, talking about the leap that he's already made. And Kent Pavelka kind of praised him as well. Um, so you're going to be stronger at the five. You're going to have more options on the perimeter, whether it's shooters or playmakers, like a Bryce. Um, and we'll kind of see what Keon Edwards can, can bring. That, that's a question. We still don't know... It, uh, how good these guys are going to be next year in the Big Ten. But just in terms of looking at the roster construction, it's so much better. Um, than last year was better in year one, and this is better than year two. So they're getting closer to where they need to be. It's just these guys got to go out and prove that, hey, we're actually capable of getting this done and finishing these games. You mentioned Banton. He did not get a combine invite, uh, but he also did not hire an agent. So there's the potential for him to return to Nebraska if he decides to pull out of the NBA draft. What are your thoughts on that situation? What do you think he should do? Yeah, so he didn't get an invitation to either of the camps. So the way it's structured now is they, they 
uh, came up with this G League elite camp that basically feeds into the, the NBA Combine in Chicago, where you bring another however many guys um, to go through some some testing, to go through a couple scrimmages in front of scouts, and then uh, the people there will uh, cast votes to see, all right, who were the best, most impressive, most in- interesting guys at this camp to get the call up to stay in Chicago and go through the regular combine process. And so Banton wasn't originally even uh, going to go to that, but Dijon Giroux from Houston, I believe, dropped out, and Banton was the alternate, I guess. Uh, so he stepped in, got in there, and he he definitely, I think, turned some heads. Just um, it, it probably was like just quintessential Delano Banton. He was uh, He really impressed people with his ability to make passes and rebound at his height as a 6'9", kind of a point guard type player with really good feel. Um, and he, uh, he 21 rebounds in two games. Yeah, that's that, that's exactly right. He, uh, all right, I got the numbers right here. So in two scrimmages, um, he had eight points on four of 13 shooting, 06 from three, 21 rebounds, nine assists, just two turnovers and two blocks in 41 minutes. So he rebounded the ball. He, he made plays for others um, and took care of the ball, got a couple blocks in there in the second game. He just could not hit a jumper, and that's going to be the question for him. And so I think what we saw here is probably kind of pre-COVID shutdown to Lionel Banton where he was doing uh, – he had a really int- uh, unique st- statistical profile. Aaron Henry, I think, when I ran the numbers, was the only guy that had anywhere close to the – impact in so many different categories as Banton did at that point. Um, and so he had scouts, I think, interested. And and then the second half of the season happened, and he just was a shell of himself coming off of uh, a letdown. And that's one thing that it was hard to evaluate basketball last year. You never know how different guys are going to react to getting COVID and missing time and all that kind of stuff. And he, whatever reason, he just could not get the flow going again in the second half of the season. So um, it seemed like he was kind of recharged going through this deal and, um, he, he did well for himself, but I don't think he answered the biggest question. So, and he did not end up getting, uh, I thought some, some people thought that he could have gotten, uh, the combine call up, but he was not one of the ones that, um, advanced to the combine. So, um, now that kind of leaves him where he can try to get another workout to interview here and there or whatever. Um, but he's got about a week or so here, um, it's 10 days after the end of the combine. So July 7th is the deadline for guys to withdraw and maintain college eligibility. So in the next uh, two weeks, we should know what his decision is. I just don't know that he answered the questions well enough. Like the jump shot has to improve. And we just spent however long talking about uh, Ben Simmons and kind of the limitations that creates for him. Um, Banton is a skinnier, less athletic version of Ben Simmons, basically. Um, so he's still got some skill development that if he can show the ability to step out, he doesn't have to shoot 40% from three, be a threat to hit a shot, tighten up the handles just a little bit so that he can create better in the half court. So I think he really could benefit from coming back. And the quote he gave about working with, uh, with Fred Hoiberg to Hoops Hypes, Brian Kalbrowski, uh, I'll go ahead and read it. Everything he says, I soak it up like a sponge. I know where he's coming from. He has played, and so it's easy for me to understand him because he's been in my shoes as well. He gives me advice on everything. I can call him a friend, a coach, as a brother. On the court, he put me in places he feels uh, I, I can do well. 
he was an NBA coach, so he knows what it's like and how it is. And so he puts me in positions where I can shine and show that I'm an NBA player. I'm not taking his experience for granted. So that right there, one, blast that to every recruit that you're currently talking to. Yeah. Um, that's, as, I think, as good of uh, a selling uh, point for Fred Hoiberg as you're going to get. But that does kind of point to how much he does value the work. And he mentioned he's still working with Hoiberg on continuing to improve the jump shot uh, within that interview. So I feel like um, he could definitely – like. I think people – a lot of times people say, oh, go back to school and improve your stock. And a lot of time I just don't think that's realistic, especially for guys that are older that have been in college for a while. When it's specific skill things like here with Banton, and it, it's possible he can take a um, – he can bet on himself and teams will be intrigued by the other stuff to get him into their program, whether it's on a two-way or what the deal is, and believe that they can – make that, that skill improvement. He is the exact kind of player the Thunder draft and say, hey, we can teach him how to shoot. Yes, exactly. So that that's still, I think that's kind of what he's weighing. It's like, all right, what can I improve myself? Am I better off taking the risk now, hoping that I, I get a deal somewhere and being able to spend all my time on this? Or am I better off going back to school, putting in the work with Hoiberg, and then potentially guaranteeing my, or um, setting myself up for, more guaranteed money the following year if he can make that improvement. Um, but you would classify Banton as a hard worker, right? Yeah, I think so. Somebody that wants to improve yeah. in the areas that where he's his game is maybe lacking. Yes. That's probably the biggest difference between him and the comp that we were just talking about. <laughs> ben Simmons is shooting with the wrong hand. Yeah. People I, keep telling him to shoot with the different with a different hand and he's not doing it. So like some of it is is you know, how much are you willing to work at the thing that you're not maybe the best at? Yeah. So we'll see. Do you think he comes back? And if he does, do you think he suddenly is, is back into a, a starting role? Uh, so if he's coming back, I definitely think they'll plug him in. And, and starting five will probably be Trey, um, Delano, Bryce, um, Lat, and Derek Walker to open the year. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how Hoiberg manages the, the kind of the point guard role duties there because Trey talked, like mentioned how he felt like over the down the stretch of the season, he was able to really settle into that role. And that's what he came here to play. Delano also sees himself as a point guard. So you can play multiple point guards together, but kind of how does that work out and keep both guys happy? So that is kind of an interesting plot line. Um, but I, you, you never know. I, I think I, I'm still leaning towards him coming back. I just don't know that he did quite enough to make the leap. But I think I think he helped himself without answering the biggest questions around him this week is kind of how I'd um, characterize it. That's fair. Well, Jacob, you got to go. you got a podcast for, uh, of your own that you have to record. So thank you Actually, for coming Actually, we on. got pushed back a, a day because Damon is, has CWS duties now. So oh. shout out to Damon for getting picked up. He doesn't matter sport. Dude knows his stuff, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm still going to kick you off the podcast. We're going to end it here. All right, fine. Even though you don't have to go. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. Thank you to Cam for producing. Thank you to all of you guys for listening every week. Remember to subscribe, leave a five-star review, leave a comment or whatever. Uh, if you don't, if you leave a one-star review, or I think you can leave no stars. I think you can do that. That'd be, that'd be hurtful don't, if don't you did. Do that. I will, as always, send clips of the Scott's Tots episode of The Office direct into your inbox. Nobody wants that. Subscribe. 
keepreadinghailvarsity.com. Look out for the yearbook that's coming soon, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Huda Media Production.